Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Well, thanks for joining us today. We're going to have a really interesting conversation about health and coming at it from a different ways. I've got Dr. Tim Jackson. He's a doctor of physical therapy and orthopedic rehab and a functional medicine provider. He holds a BS degree in health science and chemistry from Wake Forest University. He serves clients in over 15 countries through his telehealth practice. He has a website www.healyourbody.org and has helped thousands over the last eight years. He's done some pretty interesting things. Dr. Jackson has created a program, the Heal Your Hormones. Well, it's actually a boot camp, and he created that for a neurosurgeon, Dr. Jack Cruz. And he's contributed to the book, Diagnostic Testing and Functional Medicine. He's been featured in the Huffington Post, the Bulletproof Executive, Ben Greenfield's Fitness Podcast, on a lot of health and medical summits, and in two health documentaries. He also serves on the Medical Advisory Board for Wellness Mama, a site with several million annual visitors. Dr. Jackson's available to comment on a lot of different things, and I am so happy to have him here with me today. And we're going to talk about things like mold and Lyme's disease and digestive health and energy and fatigue. Dr. Jackson, thank you so much for being with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I love having somebody on my show that kind of has the same approach to healing that I do. And it's all about the energy. You know, for me, it's more about the energy going on in the brain. And for you, it's the energy going through. I mean, everything everything we have in our body is, is frequencies. It's energy. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about energy production, a lot of people think, you know, energy to exercise or energy to work outside, you know, in the yard all day. But ultimately, you know, different organs require different amounts of energy. And the brain requires probably the most, along with the heart, of mitochondrial energy production. You know, I'm always amazed when I, I remember the first time I, I learned that the brain puts off enough energy to light a light bulb. Not real bright, mm-hmm. but it will light a light bulb. And, you know, but it needs all that energy to run the body and the brain. It's when I thought about that, it was just like I was amazed. Oh, yeah. I think it, it's absolutely critical uh, because when energy production declines, usually the first place you notice it is with brain fog, memory loss, uh, sleep issues, because sleep is a very energy intensive process. Well, and sleep is something that a lot of people that come to my clinic have problems with, you know, whether sometimes they can fall asleep, sometimes they can't stay asleep. But, you know, when I ask them, do you feel like that on those days that you're lacking sleep, your brain operates differently? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm like, well, no wonder. 
because you all day long those neurons and dendrites they're wiring and firing and they're putting out toxic waste and the only time that those glial cells can come out and clean that mess up is when you're asleep i'm amazed at the research between insomnia and alzheimer's that's coming out oh yeah i mean they did a, a study at one of the medical schools in texas over a decade ago and they took medical students, and every time they went into deep sleep, they would shake them and wake them up. And they found after, I think, only two, maybe three nights at the most, they had signs of prediabetes. They had signs wow. of cognitive decline, blood sugar elevation. That's amazing to me, prediabetes. I mean, that's yeah. a lifelong condition once it, once it goes from pre into to being right yeah so, i mean go ahead no please yeah i was just gonna say um i mean there are a lot of things we can do to fix it um you know from optimizing our sex hormones to detoxifying to optimizing our gut health and microbiome but yeah i mean you got to sleep for a million different reasons. There's really no way around it. Well, see, I think, you know, you said there's a lot of different things to do about it. And sometimes I think that's the problem. People get so confused. They get, you know, somebody will suggest this and somebody else will suggest this and then this and this. And literally they get very overwhelmed. How do you help those people sort through and identify the right starting point for them? Yeah, so the question I always tell people to ask themselves and the question I ask myself when I'm working with someone and that's what can I do to affect all these variables that will help everything else? So, you know, what the let's put the big rocks in the jar first. So, you know, if you're not sleeping, you can be on bioidentical hormone replacement, but your hormones can still be low. Um, you can have good mental health, but you stop sleeping, your mental health, you know, goes south. And so I tell people, I try to explain to them why we're doing what we're doing. And it's not just about knowing what to do for a certain set of symptoms or a certain root cause, but what's the right order. Because let's say, for example, uh, someone has mold toxicity, which is very common, even if people don't know it. If you go and treat, you know, their depression, their insomnia, their fatigue, you're just kind of uh, guessing, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. None of that can truly be healed until the mold is detoxified. So what I hear you say is you can dance all around it, but until you dance with it, you're not going to solve the problem. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, putting lipstick on a pig. I mean, for lack of a better example, I mean, you can put uh, 10 tubes of lipstick on the pig, but it's still a pig. And so uh, I try to, you know, tell people why we're doing things so that they start to get a baseline understanding. And I'm probably going to publish later this year a model that I sort of follow. And because I see people, you know, who focus primarily on heavy metals or primarily on gut health. It all matters. It's just a matter of what should you address first. And sometimes you may have 
five people with the exact same presentation, but uh, their programs may be slightly different or in a different order. Well, let's talk about that because, you know, I, I, I do agree. And that's one of the first things I tell people at the clinic. I don't have a template. You know, I don't plug you in and follow the same thing. Everybody's brain is so different and what their and their lifestyle choices are so different, what their diet is, what their sleep is. And everything's got to be looked at almost customized. And, you know, it sounds like that that's your approach. How, where do you start with people? Yeah, so um, if some people who come to me, they have already done a lot of even functional medicine laboratory testing. So if they have, then I try to my best to work with that as long as it's not too old because they've got to have accurate baseline readings. But if someone comes to me and they don't have any lab tests, I usually recommend an organic acid test. Because from there, you can get small peaks into six or seven different areas of someone's physiology, such as neurotransmitter metabolites, mold toxicity, not all of it, but some of it, uh, bacterial metabolites from the gut, antioxidant status, um, mitochondrial function. And so once you get those results, that can help you kind of prioritize and say, okay, there's some mold present. We need to focus on that first and check the person's environment. And so, you know, it's important to focus on a person's environment because you'll, even if you're eating hundred percent organic non-GMO, but if you're breathing in toxic mold or you're exposed to too many non-native EMF, then that's going to, you know, negatively impact your health regardless. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because people come in all the time and they say, you know, I'm taking, the, what they're doing is they're working on their neurotransmitters. I'm taking dopamine or I'm taking 5-HTP to make, help produce more serotonin in my body. And I'll say, well, how did you determine that that's what you needed? And I never really understand how they determined that. Is this something that one of those tests would explain? It can. So, for example, you know, the only way to truly accurately test someone's neurotransmitters would be to do a spinal test. But obviously that's not practical. And even if it were, most people aren't going to go for it, myself included. So we have to measure the metabolites in the urine. And that's what the organic acid test does. And there you can see if dopamine's low or if dopamine's not being converted into norepinephrine correctly, uh, and that can be caused by deficiencies in certain nutrients along with bacterial metabolites from the gut. And you can also see someone's level of serotonin or 5-HIAA, which is the serotonin metabolite. So that can help guide you. But... I think where people get hung up is they read, okay, dopamine is the reward or pleasure neurotransmitter. Serotonin is your happiness neurotransmitter. But you need all of them, and it's about, just like with hormones, having balance and in the proper ratio. So if you give, um, you always want to improve someone's break before you add to the gas pedal. So if someone has low GABA and low serotonin, 
and you give them something to stimulate dopamine or norepinephrine, they're going to get really anxious. Well, that's not the right approach. No, no, not at all. And so, um, you know, you can have, say, 20, even 30 people with the exact same presentation, but they may all have slightly different neurotransmitter imbalances. Now, you wouldn't really be wrong to say that pretty much anyone walking the planet in today's world would benefit from a little bit of GABA. You know, that's not going to hurt you. Um, but the other neurotransmitters, I, it's always best if you can test. And if you can do a test that tells you not only about neurotransmitters, but several other areas, then I say it's worth the investment. Well, certainly, I mean, when I think of neurotransmitters, I think of your gut, what you eat. And people don't really, when I make that comment, they look at me like, hmm, you know, they don't they don't get that, that connection. And that's one of the reasons I was so interested in having you on the show today, because you talk a lot about that gut-brain axis. Yeah. And so for every one signal that the brain sends to the gut, the gut sends eight signals back to the brain. And so... Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. Say somebody, that again. Say that again. For every... So the gut sends eight signals to the brain for every one signal that the brain sends to the gut. Well, I did not know that. Yeah. And so that's why... I'll say it, it is impossible because I've never seen it happen. Um, if you don't have a healthy gut, even if it's, you know, 20% below optimal, it's going to negatively impact your cognition. And so, you know, if you have some self-infections in your gut, you're not producing enough of the B vitamins and enough vitamin K2, then, you know, that's going to affect pretty much every area of your biochemistry. And so the primary, well, one of the methods or mechanisms is the effect on the vagus nerve. And so the vagus nerve activates what's called the anti-inflammatory reflex. And if you look at any of the external vagus nerve stimulators, or certainly the ones that are implantable, then you'll see people talking about or reporting results that their mood's better, their anxiety's better, um, their cognition's better. And that's because they're more in more of a parasympathetic state, which is the rest and digest, versus sympathetic, which is fight or flight. Oh, I see a lot of people in that fight or flight stage. And, I, you know, that to me, that links directly to anxiety. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, we were talking about neurotransmitters. The vagus nerve is lined with receptors for one of our neurotransmitters called acetylcholine. So you need acetylcholine anytime you contract any muscle in your body. If you don't have acetylcholine, it won't happen. Um, it has to be present for muscular contractions, skeletal muscle contractions. Um, but the vagus nerve is lined with those receptors. So if you're low in it, then you're pretty much 
um, going to be in a sympathetic uh, dominant state. And that's one reason why benzodiazepines are so dangerous is that one of uh, the negative effects of taking them is they deplete acetylcholine. I know they do. They don't do good things to your brain. Uh, so for no. someone that that is on benzos, I mean, I have found benzos to be very, very difficult for people to get off of. Do, they do you are work with people. Yeah, um, you know, I don't want to taunt the FDA or FTC or anything, but yeah, if you you have to support the microglial cells and get them to calm down, and then I mean, it's still difficult but not as difficult because if you just taper even slowly you know say over a four or five month period it's still going to be very very rough because those benzodiazepines negatively impact sodium potassium channels and you know that those are needed for pretty much every function in the body um they negatively impact your sympathetic parasympathetic tone via the acetylcholine and um you know they create down regulation of those GABA receptors and so even if you stay at the same dose like let's say I started taking a benzo today and four months from now I'm on the same dose I can start having withdrawals from you know basically down regulation of the receptors um and dependency on that same dose and so you have to constantly increase the dose. But, you know, with the advent of, you know, Dr. William Seed's the chill pill, which is dihydrohinophil B, it activates the same receptor as benzodiazepines, but it actually turns down the volume on a knob called the NF-kappa-beta pathway. And that pathway controls a lot of inflammation throughout the body. And so it increases neuroplasticity, and it turns down the inflammatory volume. Well, I think we all have inflammation in our body. And I think Mm -hmm. so many of us, you know, oh, no, 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 not me. But I think we all do. Uh, What's your, let's talk about inflammation. Yeah. And so, you know, to kind of segue, if you're in a fight or flight state, and we need to kind of operationally define that because if you have $10 million in the bank, you don't have a worry in the world, you can still be in a fight or flight state because you may have dysbiosis or an infection in the gut. You may have heavy metal or mold toxicity. You may have uh, hormonal imbalances. Uh, you may have some stealth pathogens systemically. And all those things will activate the fight or flight portion of your nervous system. And so inflammation, yes, uh, I mean, you know, we can see if we bump our elbow and it swells up or we fall and hit our shoulder and it's swollen up. But our brain, unless, you know, there's massive swelling on the brain, you know, if it's not functioning, we can't see that unless you do one of the scans like you do at the brain performance center. And so inflammation, you know, we were talking about neurotransmitters, low level chronic inflammation, it can deplete several neurotransmitters. The main one that I've read about in the literature is dopamine. 
And we certainly have, you know, society that is dopamine deficient these days. That's why I see people at the gym checking their phone while they're working out, you know, because they're getting that dopamine hit from the phone. Got to have that feedback. Who liked my Facebook post, you know? Oh, yeah. Yep. And so, I mean, inflammation, you know, is at the heart of pretty much every chronic disease. And uh, when we talk about energy production, so our uh, nuclear DNA, so the double helix we've all heard so much about, that's protected by proteins called histones, basically these round balls that are wrapped around the DNA. But the DNA in our mitochondria, where energy is produced, they are not protected by histones. So when we generate free radicals, which is basically inflammation at the cellular level, they are going to damage the mitochondrial DNA, which will negatively impact ATP or energy production. So for people that that really, let's say, you know, genetically, they're not prone to good health. Um, are there, did they have the same degree of being able to rehab their body? Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, depending, obviously it might, if you've had something going on for 10 years, you know, you're not going to fix it overnight. Uh, but depending on, you know, what your childhood was like, if you have a high adverse childhood event score, um, because that trauma and our attachment style, um, negatively or positively, depending on who it is, impacts our ability to interact and interface with the world. And so everyone can change and can improve. There are some things, for example, when we look at certain epigenetic polymorphisms. So it's not a mutation. It's kind of like a minor version of a mutation. But you could have two copies of all these bad, quote-unquote, bad genes. But if you're living a healthy lifestyle and getting the proper environmental input, such as enough sunlight, enough water, uh, not too much, uh, artificial blue light, etc. Those genes won't express. Conversely, you can have no copies of the same genes, but if you're living an unhealthy lifestyle, your body will act as if you have those copies. What do you do about that? So, uh, depending on which one, uh, which polymorphisms you're talking about, I tend to look at them in groups. Uh, you can support it nutritionally, supplementally, um, lifestyle-wise. Uh, so let's take MTHFR, um, methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase. It's basically folic acid. Folic acid is the synthetic version. MTH or L5-MTHF is the uh, metabolized bioavailable form. And that will help you to bypass the MTHFR polymorphism. You know, if you have a polymorphism in any of the glutathione-related SNPs, then taking glutathione and helping your body recycle glutathione is important. And so I tend to group the polymorphisms together. And ultimately, you want to look at something like an organic acid test to see if these polymorphisms are expressive. And so you might have a polymorphism 
but it may not be expressive. Which means you have it and you don't know it. Right. 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 So what do you do about that? Well, so that's where you would want to do a test. So, you know, my mentor would say you can't treat a gene, and technically you can't. Um, so if you supplement just based on your genetics, you know, that can be a little misleading. So that's why doing a test where you can look at biomarkers, active biomarkers, you know, RBC, mineral levels, and vitamin levels, um, neurotransmitter metabolites, then you can see if you these polymorphisms that you have are expressed and then treated accordingly. Well, you know, there, there's so so much that you can do and we've got three minutes before we go to break and I want to leave people with some clear thoughts on what they can do because we've talked about a lot of different things so if you were going to leave people with you know three takeaways from the first half of the show what would they be 30 minutes of sunlight preferably twice a day at least once a day uh, as early in the morning as you can, um, on as much surface area of your body as possible. Blue blockers, I'm sure you have blinks or you've interviewed people on those, but wear those at night to protect your eyes and keep your body's natural 24-hour circadian rhythm in check. And three, make sure your duct work is cleaned and that you have a high-end air purifier in your home. So those are lifestyle choices to a big degree. And, yep. you know, those are, and you're certainly right. We all are in charge of the lifestyle choices that we make. I'm kind of surprised that you didn't mention the EMF in the air, you know, from the, from the 5G, from the, from the Wi-Fi, from the networks. Um, so that'll give us something when we come back, you know, we can, we can touch on that. But I think that those three things that, that you listed are, they're very simple and they're very easy to do. It's, but it's right. a change. It's a change in our lifestyle. And honestly, Dr. Jackson, that's the hardest thing that I, that I really experience with people is getting them to change their lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Inertia is hard to overcome. It re I mean, it really, really is. And, the when I tell people, you know, to stop and think about it, do you really need that fried chicken every Sunday afternoon? Yeah, yeah, I do. Or then, well, I don't, but you know, my kids do. I have to make it for them. And it's so right. It's so interesting the way that we rationalize within ourselves what we want. And one of the right. biggest lessons I try to help people understand is there's there's wants and there's needs. And they're not exactly. always the same thing. I mean, yeah. I want that fried chicken too, but I know right. my body doesn't need it. I know it that it it will not contribute to my overall being. Not picking on fried chicken, but but you know, it's right. just it's just an example. So I want our listeners while we go to break to just stop and think about what do you want that you consider a need. We'll be back after these messages. It's words you never heard. 
you just hate it when someone starts a sentence by saying, don't take this the wrong way, but... According to Elizabeth Bernstein of the Wall Street Journal, we all do this on occasion. Some people refer to these phrases as tee-ups. That seems fitting. What do you do with a golf ball? You tee it up and then give it a giant wallop. Tee-ups like, to tell you the truth, supposedly soften the blow. But if you are taking the trouble to announce your honesty now, maybe you've been telling too many teradiddles, flummery, and fiblets. Being on the wrong side of a tee-up can be confusing for the listener. What are other words for confusion and frustration? Wouldn't dream and jargoggle. Maybe it would be best to try to remain pricknickety. That means totally above board and precise. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. It's words you never heard. We spend a lot of time in front of it, but do you know who invented the television set? The short answer is John Logie Baird, who invented the television set in 1925. The longer answer is that many people worked on different inventions that eventually came together to make a television set. The very first television show was a broadcast of the opening ceremony of the New York World's Fair in 1939. The first television commercial was for Bull of Watches. The cost of that commercial? Four dollars. And so began the herkle-durkle and thurgy-lurgy, or the idle relaxation of watching television. Of course, in the early days, we got a lot of exercise watching TV. We had to walk both ways to the television set to change the channel. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. So we've talked about a lot of good stuff in the first part of the show. And when we, before we went to break, we were talking about what's in, what we want and what we need and how sometimes getting confused on those two things and the impact that it can have on our health. And that is really where we need to stop and think about because what, what we want to focus on today is how do we optimize our energy? How do we be our best self. I mean, that's what it's all about when your brain's working well, when your body's working well, you know, when you're your best self, you can make more money, you can travel more, you can have better relationships, you can have so much more out of life. So let's come back and and Dr. Jackson, why don't you give us your summary on wants and needs? In terms of biohacking, or sure yeah so i mean everyone uh they may want let's say to lose weight or to be a little smarter that all starts with producing more energy at the cellular level so there's some things that you can do that will enhance all of those processes so it will optimize how you show up in the world And one simple thing, and you've probably talked about this before, and that's red light therapy. And so red light therapy was used in traditional hospitals up until the early 70s, I think. But it helps with things such as wound healing and really the healing of any uh, injury by increasing 
your mitochondria, the battery of your cells, their energy output. And so there are devices you can hang on the wall. There are red light therapy beds. There are actually hats that you can wear for uh, neurostimulation, but also hair regrowth. Um, and so red light therapy, uh, unlike artificial blue light, which harms your mitochondrial energy production, red light therapy enhances it. And so it's becoming increasingly popular. I've had a device since 2017. Um, a lot of pro football, basketball, baseball, and hockey teams have recovery and regeneration rooms. And they have many things in there, but red light therapy is probably one of the staples. And so red light therapy is something that you can get an inexpensive yet powerful device for as little as $460. Or, you know, the ones that are in clinics sometimes go up to a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand. But red light therapy is something that everyone can do. Even I know Planet Fitness has a booth that you can stand up in that's a red light therapy booth. And I think it's twenty bucks a month to become a member there. But light therapy, so that's another environmental input that it can be good light, such as red light therapy. It can be healthy blue light from the sun, or it can be unhealthy blue light from artificial lights indoors. Well, that's and good so, to know. Yeah, in terms of biohacking, I would put light therapy and hacking your light environment uh, at the very top. Um, and then in terms of, you know, other investments, I would say a uh, far infrared sauna, if possible, a full spectrum sauna that has near, mid, and far infrared wavelengths. So, uh, heat therapy has shown many benefits from increasing circulation, increasing certain types of immune cells like natural killer cells, helping you sweat out toxins. But it also, those wavelengths, depending on what um, wavelengths we're talking about, they'll penetrate more deeply into the body. And so that's a great way to mobilize toxins and that would otherwise be stored in our internal organs to protect us. And so being able to excrete those, you know, is highly beneficial. Not to mention that an infrared sauna is basically an exercise mimetic, meaning that it mimics the benefits of exercise. So it increases cardiac output, circulation, um, nitric oxide production. All of those things uh, are very beneficial to the body. And it also will kill indirectly cell pathogens. So by increasing those immune cell counts, you're going to optimize your immune system and make it smarter and stronger. Well, that's good to know. You know, I do infrared sauna uh, and I yeah. do it for, for circulations why I started doing it. But I've noticed, you know, a difference in my skin. And I've noticed that I just when I after a good workout, I'm so sore and I go do an infrared sauna and that soreness is not quite so intense. I didn't realize all the other things that you said. So that makes me feel really good about my choices. 
Yeah. So what and do you, then, what you do know, you go ahead. Go ahead. Um, you have the added benefit of removing toxins, and a lot of those toxins disrupt energy production. So um, by increasing circulation and energy production, um, you're going to increase cognition. And also, uh, infrared sauna puts you in more of a parasympathetic state. So all of our healing and rejuvenation is done in a parasympathetic state. So what do you think about the flip side of that? The cryotherapy where it's the cold? Yeah. So cryotherapy, so there's a term that is more of an environmental medicine term, but the allostatic load. So let's say you have no stress at all, and then you get some dysbiosis in your gut and some heavy metal toxicity and a little mold toxicity, and you're not sleeping well. Those all start to stack on top of each other so that soon, you know, you're almost at your threshold for becoming symptomatic or unwell. And so the more you can lower someone's allostatic load, the more they can tolerate stress. That's why people, you know, who don't feel very well from whatever illness or imbalance, you know, they don't have a lot of patience or they're not in a good mood, um, labile mood, things of that nature. And so cryotherapy, I think it can be helpful, but a lot of people, they're doing sauna and cryotherapy, like they'll alternate. And if your body's dealing with a lot of physiological stress, say some stealth pathogens, Epstein-Barr virus, um, mold toxicity, then, you know, it's going to struggle to adapt to the cryotherapy. And that's why I've, you know, talked to a number of people who have done it and they didn't really notice a benefit even after doing, say, eight or nine. And, you know, I tell them, go work on these things and then try it again. And, you know, it's usually a pretty significant improvement. So when you say go work on these things, what are those things? So for each person, it's going to be different. Um, But in general, gut health, anything that contributes to your body can be in one of three states. Homeostasis, which is complete balance. Anabolic, which just means rebuilding, rejuvenating. Or catabolic, breaking down. So any stressor on the body is going to move you away from homeostasis. And so um, the far infrared sauna and cryotherapy, all those things, they're what we call hormetic stressors, meaning they condition your body to better handle stress. But in my experience, and I don't know if there's research proving this, I just know I've seen it thousands of times clinically, that uh, the sauna will, your body will adapt to the sauna in heat much better than it will extreme cold temperatures. Makes sense to me. Because I would much rather, I spent 20 years in Connecticut being a Dallas girl, and I decided I would much rather be way too warm than than freezing to death. So that resonates in my body. Absolutely. For people out there, you know, I've seen a lot of clients that report having Lyme's disease. 
And I'm not an expert in it. The only thing I really know about Lyme's is what I learned as I experienced it. But I know what what I experienced is very different than what I have people report to me. Talk to me about Lyme's disease. Yeah, so Lyme, you know, there's many strains of it. Um, You know, it's outdated and it was never really appropriate to say, oh, you know, if you're in New England, you should test for that. I mean, ticks can't read road signs. They don't come to the border of North Carolina and South Carolina and say, oh, oh, can't go there. So, you know, there's ticks everywhere except Antarctica. Um, you know, the type of tick may be different. The strain of Lyme may be different, but they're going to be present. And most ticks are the size of a period at the end of a sentence. So I don't even ask people anymore if they've been bitten by a tick because most of the time they won't know it. And the other symptom a lot of people go by and even doctors go by, they ask people if they've had a bullseye rash. But less than a third of people who get Lyme get that bullseye rash. So that's not an accurate representation of whether or not you have it. The third issue is testing. So the test that most infectious disease doctors do who are not trained in functional medicine, it's called a Western blot. And that's testing a part of your immune system called the humoral immune system, your B-cell mediated immunity. And the first thing the Lyme bacteria or spirochete does is it turns that part of your immune system off. So you're using a test that relies on activity of cells that have already been turned off. And if you provoke the Lyme, so let's say you take some herbal antimicrobials for at least two eat the test, it'll be significantly more positive. So it's not as simple as to say, positive or negative with a Western blot, it's going to list bands like P41. Um, but those bands, you know, interestingly enough, uh, the CDC requires five of them to be considered positive for Lyme. But most Asian countries only require two. So that's um, one issue, is, you know, with the testing. The other, even the functional medicine Lyme test, they're more accurate. But at the end of the day, you have to kind of treat empirically and go by someone's symptoms. So if you've ruled other things out and you're still symptomatic, then it's worth addressing it empirically. So what are the most common symptoms that everybody experiences? So I wouldn't say, you know, a lot of people immediately think joint pain. But not everyone with Lyme has joint pain. It depends on, you know, the status of your health prior to getting the infection. And most of the time, people have no idea when they got it. So, you know, I grew up in the woods in South Carolina. There's a million different times that I could have gotten bitten by a tick. And there was probably more than one. So I can't pin it down to say, oh, yeah, I got infected you know, then I didn't get treated until 2011. But brain fog is one. Um, and depending on whether or not a person has co-infections, meaning Bartonella, Babesia, those uh, really impact the brain and central nervous system. 
in terms of rage, mood changes, um, high-risk behaviors such as unprotected sex with strangers, um, illicit drug use, you know, just all sorts of dangerous activities. Um, and so those co-infections, they typically need to be treated first and then the line. The caveat to all that is mold is almost always present. And when the immune system suppressed, so that's something that every mycotoxin does is suppress the immune system, all those pathogens, they may have been present before and you were asymptomatic. But now your immune system's not working as well as it needs to, so you're symptomatic. That makes sense. So, for you know, it's, what surprises me about Lyme is some people can recover very fairly quickly, and some people it takes years. And, and actually, I believe there's some people that have never really fully recovered. For those that feel like they haven't fully recovered, is there something that can be done? Yeah, so it depends, you know, on what they've tried and, um, you know, the therapies that they've used thus far. And unfortunately, you know, it's expensive to treat it most of the time. And so, um, you know, you can go the antibiotic route, but even the doctors I know who've had Lyme, um, they, the ones who tried antibiotics for several years, they did nothing for them. And so, um, you know, the antibiotics, you can get oral, you can get IV, but those can not only damage your microbiome in the gut, they can also damage your mitochondria. And so, you know, you have to be very careful with that. But there's hyperbaric oxygen therapy, um, there's IV hydrogen peroxide, silver, um, biophoton therapy through the through an IV, um, IV vitamin C, um, many other ways to address it. Herbal antimicrobials, and the other thing that you know there's a pandemic of is lymphatic spaces, so congestion of lymphatic fluid, and that's like the garbage disposal system in our body. And so when it's congested and, you know, it requires movement to get that fluid moving. Um, and so, you know, if you're not getting 10,000 steps a day in, then you're going to have lymph congestion. And that's one of the benefits of something like a vibration plate, which you can get as cheaply as 200 to $250 these days, um, that's one of the benefits is to get the lymphatic fluid moving. And um, there are different machines out there that can um, biohack your lymphatic system, but dry skin brushing, the sauna, all of those things, uh, vibration plate will get your lymphatic system moving. So, yeah, it, so it I, is possible. I haven't heard about a vibration plate. What is that? Yeah, so vib- so a vibration plate, the original ones were mostly used for increasing the activation of stabilizing muscles around the joint, the small muscles that usually don't get activated. So let's say I went and did a push-up 
on a power plate or a vibration plate. And then I followed that up with a bench press. My joints will feel stronger and I can probably lift heavier than if I didn't do that. So that's one use. But you get on it, some of them, depending on how much you pay for it, you can adjust the frequency, the hertz, and others you can't. Um, but you don't need an expensive one to get on, you stand on, you know, you want something to hold on to, be safe, and stay on there. You know, if you're just starting out, three or four minutes a day, and that's it. Um, because if you're extremely toxic, uh, you know, we got to get your bowels moving first and the liver and kidneys, and then your lymphatic system. And so the vibration plates um, help with bone density, activating, uh, stabilizing muscles, and getting the lymphatic fluid moving. And this is something people can purchase and just use at home? Yes. So it used to be that you had to pay, like the cheapest ones were around $1,600. But now there are decent ones for 200 to $250 on Amazon that have good ratings. Well, how do you identify a good one? Because to me, that's something that if people at home could just bring that into their home and, and put that into their daily self-care routine, it could touch a lot of components. Yeah. So the way, because there's a ton of brands out there, I mean, you really just have to look at the ratings and how many ratings they have. Um, so, you know, I don't know all the brands. I only know a handful. And there are more coming out, you know, each and every week. So... I would say, I mean, for $200, you really can't go wrong as long as it has 20 to 30 reviews that are at least four-star. I'd say it's worth it. That's great to know. That really is because one of the things that I hear clients say is, you know, I want to do other things, but it's, oh, it's so expensive. Or, or yeah. they'll invest in something that is really expensive and then they won't use it. And so they're, right. they, they don't allow themselves to explore because, um, you know, usually once you buy it, it's it's yours. There's no return. But that's right. a great that's a great tip for people. You know, and, and I'd like to use this kind of as we wind down our show, we've got, you know, a little bit of time left. But other just general, you know, so much your knowledge is extensive. What other you know, things like that, would you recommend for people? Now, you're you're on an advisory board, the Wellness Mama. And I don't know anything about it, but it said, I know it says you have several million annual visitors. Is this, are there sites out there where people can visit for good wellness information? Yeah, it's a matter of narrowing it down because, you know, we have access to more information than at any other time in human history. So, of course, I'm going to recommend healyourbody.org because that's my site. But well, of course, and thank you Mama, for sharing that. Yeah, and Wellness Mama is good. Um, I'm trying to think of Dr. Mercola's information is usually pretty good. And, you know, it's all free. I mean, there might be a premium membership on some of those, but most of the information is going to be free. Well, I'm on your website right now, and... Um, I'm just kind of looking around on the top. I see how uh, apply to work with Dr. Tim about Dr. Tim. 
uh, medical, you know, become an affiliate. So if somebody wanted to explore how a little bit more, how would they start? Um, to work with me or just in biohacking, biohacking information? Both. So uh, applying to work with me, that email will come directly to me. And so they can just send me a message that way. Um, there's, if you Google my name, Dr. Tim Jackson, and pretty much any functional medicine topic, um, I have, I think, 60 to 70 hours of free content of interviews that I've done over the past 10 or 11 years. And so, you know, if you listen to an interview from 2012, you know, obviously it's going to be a little bit different information than what I gave out in 2020, 2021. Right. But it, but I call that citation chaining. As you can tell, I'm finishing up my PhD, but they can use that and the information they get from that to build off of and to explore from. So it's a great place to start. So if I Google Tim Jackson and hormones, um, I can pull up some information. Yep. Ben Greenfield's website and podcast is also um, a great place to get free information. Well, I'm all about free information. It's just hard to find good free information. And I know you have a book on your website that I'd like to mention in the last couple of minutes. Can you tell us a little bit about Beyond Green Allopathy? Yeah, so I realized after I wrote it that I was probably the only one who knew what green allopathy was. But basically the term means, so let's say you come to me as a patient or client and you say, I'm taking nine medications. And I say, oh, don't worry, I got you. And I pull out nine supplement bottles. You know, you might have a little less side effects, but overall, you know, if you're not getting to the root cause, then that's not functional wellness, functional medicine, however you want to label it. Um, So, and I see that a lot with every type of doctor who's doing functional medicine, um, you know, even naturopathic doctors. And so, you know, we all need to up our game and uh, dig deeper because if you're on $2,000 worth of supplement, you know, six months after we start working together, then I haven't done a very good job at all. Well, I like that. I like that, that, that you know, your job is not to just give people supplements to like make their life better. You know, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I've learned so much and, you know, I encourage everybody. There's only, and I hate to say it, but there's only one person that is responsible for your health and that's you. And I encourage, I, I continue to challenge myself and look for ways to improve my health. And a lot of times, you know, I will, I'll let somebody else worry about that. Well, I've learned the hard way. That's not going to work. So for you, those of you that want to learn a little bit more about Dr. Jackson, go to his website. It's healyourbody.org. And look around because there's, there's good information. If nothing else, it'll be thought-producing for you to think about, what can I do for my, my health? And, you know, we can all learn more. Thank you so much for being with me today, Dr. Jackson. You've got me thinking about a a frequency plate that I need to get. 
Thank you so much. of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Brain Performance Center.